All right, everyone. Welcome to uh, Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I uh, hope you're having a good quality weekend. We've got an intimate crowd today, a little bit smarter than usual. That's okay. I didn't give much uh, notice, and I think a lot of folks are out and about. Um, I'm mostly just going to take your calls, any questions or comments you have. I would first like to tell you about a very dumb Twitter fight I got in today, because I think it's telling. Basically, um, how do I even explain this? Easily. Okay, so there's a school district in Florida, and someone tweeted the following about this school district. This school board in Florida voted that if an LGBTQ child is in a PE class or attending an overnight trip, that all the parents in their class will receive a notification about it, which essentially paints these children as sex offenders that require warnings. This has 6,000 retweets and counting, retweeted by a lot of big-name journalists. It's incredibly scary basically fascist policy in which all kids, all parents in the class are notified if there's an LGBTQ kid even in a gym class or on a trip. Uh, it sounds almost like a caricature of, like, you know, right-wing policies. If you click on the article, if you look into the policy, you'll see that this is – I'm just pulling it up to make sure I get the details right. It's from an article in the Tallahassee Democrat. It's about uh, Leon County. Leon County, Florida is a very blue district, and they have a very blue school board. Uh, it went in 2020, I think, two to one for Biden in a state that went to Trump. You can click on the LGBTQ inclusive school guide, and you'll see that, no, there, there's nothing here saying that, like, if there's a gay or trans kid on a trip or in a gym that, like, parents are just going to be notified about it. It's like a little... This document explicitly states kids can't be outed against their will, for one thing. It says kids get to decide who knows they're trans. It has a lot of protections for them. It references the Florida State Constitution. What appears to have happened in Leon County is that, as part of a compromise, because there were very active conservative students, um, conservative parents, I should say, if you're a parent, you can notify the school beforehand. Uh, if you want the school to set up accommodations for your kid in like communal locker room settings or overnight trips. If you're not comfortable with them, like being in a same sex situation on, in, a, in lodging for an overnight trip or um, in a shower basically, or a locker room. And I know people are going to have strong opinions about that. Some people think that that is too conservative, but the fact is it is the conservative parents or their kids who are – they're the ones who will have to seek the accommodation. Like the, the trans kids get to change or go on trips or stay with the people uh, – the other kids of their gender identity. So it's like actually a pretty, for lack of a better word, woke policy. It does represent an attempt to like – as far as I can tell, to compromise. I've been chatting with one of the folks who wrote this policy and I'm trying to do a little bit of reporting on it, trying to talk to folks in the school board. But what struck me was the way, like, instantly, all these national journalists just retweeted this this tweet by a guy who I think is a um, – it's still just going crazy. He's a TV writer. He's not a journalist, and he he was in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and he's, like, really exaggerating this. And you're spreading unnecessary fears about kids being outed en masse and being reported to their school just for being gay or trans. Um, so I found that I have a very bad time when there's – there's all these state legislations, all this stuff going on at the state level and at the county level in schools, both on critical race theory and education in general and this stuff. And I found that oftentimes progressives, like, it's hard to talk about these policies or to debate them because there's such a wave of misinformation that comes out. And I know both sides do it. And I know I sometimes focus on progressives, but I, I just think it's like 
easier to criticize progressives and maybe make an impact if you are one. Um, so I, I don't know. I, it's weird how mad people get when you tell folks that the world isn't as horrible as they're making it out to be. When you try to like debunk a, what is like a little bit of scaremongering. Um, so I don't really know what to do about this because there isn't much like self-restraint among journalists themselves in terms of what they'll spread online. And it just doesn't help because like there's there's maybe this policy is still too conservative. Maybe parents shouldn't have any control or shouldn't be notified if like, you know, their daughter is, is potentially in a changing room with a physically male student. But this, these are like really sensitive issues and there's probably going to have to be some discussion about them. But to treat any compromise, like even in the case of a blue school district, as fascist and scary, I, I don't understand who that helps other than the people just trying to like build cloud online. So that was um, that was one thing that was on my mind that I, I don't know what to do about it because I end up being a little bit of a nudge. Like I do make a big deal when when the left like does the, the fake news thing and the misinformation thing. Um, and people get so mad when you do it. Uh, the last instance of this was a, a piece I just unlocked for my newsletter that uh, – let me find it. Um, progressives. Uh, I'll take a call and then I'll try to find it. We have a few callers. Neil, what's up? Sorry. Um, there was a weird pop-up. Um, okay. So this is kind of a, a, a weird one, but there, there's going to be some like foundation laying first. So – do you think prostitution should be legalized? Uh, for, for probably adults? decriminalized. Yeah. What's the difference between decriminalization and legalization? Um, right. Is a legalization means I think you could like really set up shop under the auspices of the state and probably some degree of regulation. Decriminalization could mean there's like civil fines for it or something. Um, this is not an issue I know much about, and people have very strong views on it. Okay. Okay. So then, what do you think about? Um, like the should should private businesses be allowed to discriminate right so like the the one cake baker or just in general like on on any kind of characteristic um should private businesses be able to i don't know you're giving me good questions that i haven't thought through enough uh, the the like the bake shop thing always struck me as like uh difficult <laughs> like more difficult than people give it credit for like because i I don't know. Tell me where you're going with this, and I'll, I'll, okay, I'll try to... Okay, so for, as a libertarian, I think both should be legal. But then um, what was interesting is when, in my one morality class, we were talking about this, like, discrimination, right? And so um, two of my classmates, you know, both progressive, both thought prostitution should be legalized. And so then I was like, so what if you have a racist prostitute? And she, you know, for whatever reason, doesn't want to sleep with this guy, right? But then because, you know, with uh, civil rights law, she would be forced to do so. And then I asked them what they thought of that. And then I like totally got them to be against um, this. Uh, what is it? The 19, whatever civil rights thing that makes people not be allowed to discriminate on the basis of race as a private business. And so I got them to oppose it because they thought it would be rapey for a prostitute to then have to sleep with a guy. <laughs> and I was sounds... just wondering your thoughts on that. I, uh, I, I like, I like this story. I, I would, uh, I feel like my mind, it just got sent into 12 dimensional argumentative territory. So, uh, I don't know if I have an instant response to that. It sounds like a hell of a class though. Yeah. It was an interesting, it was like the intro to morality class at uh, UC Berkeley. It was fun. It was a good professor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I like that. I appreciate you telling me that. Anyway. Yeah. That was my question. 
<laughs> Thank you, Neil. I'm sorry. I just I was like my mind was a little bit blown by it. I was like, ah, there's so much going on here. I'll uh, I'll try to think that through more. Chewy, what's up? Uh, good for the college person taking out random, distracting uh, questions. Um, like that don't really actually come up in real life. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, I don't know. So so okay. I I this is not a fully formed thought, and I'll just admit that like ahead of time, right? That with your with, with, with what we're talking about, about sort of notifications and whatnot, I, 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 the, my thought, my feeling is that there's a lot of people of my generation, which is your generation, I'm 38 years old, um, not to age you, uh, which is so rude, um, but <laughs> we're like, so I, I, I can think of like a, a part in my past where like, I was in a tiny town and gay and, like, got caught downloading porn. And thank God I had amazing, an amazing principal and vice principal who were like, you know, we're not going to tell your parents. We're not going to punish you, um, but we're not going to tell your parents about it. And, like, uh, we're not going to tell anybody else about it because, you know, we know it puts you at danger. And so, like, I kind of wonder whether people hearing about the, the things, like, the, the, the guidelines that you've talked about, are responding out of a sense of like past fear, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think that's unreasonable. I don't think it's just clout chasing. Um, I certainly some of it is right. Some people are really doing disingenuous sort of clout chasing, but I, I do like feel like there's a reasonable amount of fear from like past precedent, right. About how people are treated. Um, in dangerous situations. And I don't, I don't know how to fold that. I don't know how to fully like, put that into a No, I mean, I, it's look, really, I, it's, a, it's a very unformed opinion. Yeah, I didn't mean to accuse everyone of cloud chasing. I think what I mean is if someone who's like a professional journalist or public intellectual spreads this stuff without checking it, uh, I think that's bad. And a lot of people spread this stuff because a TV writer tweeted it and phrased it a mm. certain way. And uh, the kernel of truth to his tweet is in some cases it – and again, I'm trying to get more details on this. In some cases, parents will be notified of like the presence of a trans kid um, sleeping overnight with their kids or or using a shower with them. I, it doesn't look like they are or could even be told the identity of the trans kid. They're just told there will be one in case they want to do a different accommodation. Um, and that, again, maybe 10 years from now, will be like, that's ridiculous. Who cares? I, um, it is very different from like a policy that punishes the trans kid themselves, like the worst yeah. thing you, yeah, yeah, and, and I, I think so. I, I think the, I think where I like my thought about it is that like I find I find it very difficult how to assess policies because, um, because it like you know and this is just like past past experience is that like I'm glad there wasn't a policy in 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 place right because there were really generous kind hearted people who were able to not have to respond to a policy in place. Yeah. Uh, you know? Um, yeah, you're saying if there had been, like, oh, I mean, look, I I still struggle with the question of, like, what the policy should be on, yeah. um, you know, if a kid comes out as trans just to their teacher and says they don't have uh, supportive parents, I think, it's, I think this stuff is genuinely difficult because... It is difficult, yeah. I don't think you really can give is. a 12-year-old full say-so over, like, what, what their parents are and aren't told, but there obviously are 12-year-olds for whom coming from very difficult home situations. So I think that's maybe why this stuff is so fraught. Like, we recognize yeah. schools are this sort of, like, in-between space where schools have some 
they definitely have a duty to protect kids and protect them from harm, but they also have some duty to keep parents in the loop about what's going on. Yeah, I agree. And that's, I think it's, I think it's why, you know, I mean, kind of going with what you say, like, I'm really, I mean, I, I, I just find it really, when policies come out, I, I find it kind of like a little bit difficult to deal with in, in terms of what you're saying. Um, because it's almost better if there's more leeway, but like leeway has its own problems, right? Like I happen to have had uh, a principal and, and vice principal and teacher who were generous to me and kind to me and in a bad situation, right? But like others could have could have done differently. And so I don't know. I just I don't know how to evaluate these kinds of policies um, because I think there's a reasonable amount of fear that comes up with them when a policy comes out that delineates strict guidelines. And I, I really don't know what to do with that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I, I think some degree of uncertainty here or like humility is warranted, especially this is like, this is a, a brand new issue. The question of yeah. like when, when biological sex should quote unquote win and when gender identity should, there's no, like when I was fighting with people on it with, on Twitter, I was getting responses like, you know, well, uh, should I be notified if my parent, is, if my kid is subjected to racism in the class? Which is like, A, yes, of course you should if your student is, kid is bullied. B, it shows like the struggle to draw analogies here because it's a genuinely new oh, issue. So right. I don't know. Okay. Hey, thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Joey. AJ, what is up? Hey, Jesse, how's the forum? That's good. How are you? Not too bad at all. I was just hoping to ask you a bit of a personal question, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, I'm just wondering how you came to possess your immense superpowers, and by that, of course, I mean uh, your ability to kill people with words. And yeah. I'm wondering, was it some sort of like radiation thing, or like, are you some sort of wizard with uh, like spell casting abilities, or how did you come to possess these powers? Yeah, I just uh, I read so many bigoted writers and uh, had have internalized so many bigoted ideas, and then I fell into a vat of acid, and now. Yes, I can kill people with tweets. Uh, I can kill pe- not only can I kill people with tweets, but I can kill people with tweets that appear to just be mild disagreement. So it, it is a, I don't know, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Yeah. Like, why have you chosen to use that power exclusively against uh, trans people and trans kids instead of, like, turfs and Nazis? Exactly. And white, well, cis white men, like... <laughs> I don't know what to say. I just, you know, I've, uh, gender conformity is very important to me. I think boys should play sports, and I think girls should, uh, you know, be raised as little homemakers. I've been, I've been open about this for a long time. No, seriously though, what do you think of that criticism? Like when people say that to you, and do you think some of it is genuine, or do you think some of it, or a lot of it, is which cri- which criticism in particular? The the criticism that like you that you that. Uh, by some things you say you are like contributing to such an environment that like it's killing people like or that words are violence and people are dying as a result of things you're saying like it's it's this is oh, I mean I think it's fucking batshit insane uh, any any and I think it's now used so promiscuously in so many different kinds of situations uh, that it's I hope lost its punch a little bit but it's like what someone says if they're if they don't really have an argument or if they're scared to engage on the specifics of an issue. And I also, with the turf thing in particular, it's there's like a little bit of an obsession where, you know, the folks who have the most power to hurt trans people are right wing state legislators, um, often predominantly male ones. And I think the obsession both with turfs and with liberal journalists like me who supposedly don't have good enough opinions is just 
very I don't know, it seems a little bit misguided and maybe it just stems from this idea that like it's just much easier to attack people in your own house because like how you know what are you going to do about the the uh, right wing or far right wing state legislator they're they're in a completely different ecosystem um but uh let me bump you back on sorry yeah i don't know man i i i think people have started to realize how clownish it is to just just say your words are <laughs> violencing me uh it's it's a very bad habit people have got into it does not work on normies because normies do not think that words are violent so i don't know yeah, I agree. I think it's like an attempt. I think some small percentage of people might have drank the Kool-Aid and believe that like words are actually violence. But mostly I think it's an attempt at emotionally blackmailing people into shutting up and getting other people and uh, to, to just, uh, you know, because they don't want to be accused of killing people, not to speak up on I, issues. I think the, the emotional blackmail is a good word for it. I also think like the way like the suicide stuff is tossed around, like kids will kill themselves. I, I've just seen that like kids will kill themselves if we talk about the, the youth sports thing. Kids will kill themselves if you talk about the desistance literature. I've seen so many versions of that, and it's just like, it's irresponsible to throw around suicide claims like that. Sorry, you keep getting dropped for some reason. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, thanks thanks for uh, uh, putting it back on. Good luck. Yeah, thank you for the call. Um, I don't know why. I, what's the point of fucking talking about this with folks on Twitter? I should have just like, if it was important enough, I should have just like done a little bit of reporting and like written a Substack article about it. That's what Substack's for. The whole point of this newsletter is to make it so I don't get in dumb Twitter fights, and then I keep getting in dumb Twitter fights. Jamal, what's up? Hey, um, I don't really keep up with the kids these days. So you and me, kind of- you and me both. Right? Yeah. I, I don't know. Do you uh, think that um, parents these days and uh, school districts, like, actually have any knowledge of the sex lives of their students? Because I remember when I was in high school, anyone with a strong opinion about this stuff, you know, uh, the rule was just just and say whatever they want you think they want to hear and end the conversation as quickly as possible and walk away and then go back to doing whatever you want in the uh in a tim's basement <laughs> uh sorry did, i i feel like i lost a thread here you mean in what 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 aspects of, of the sex life conversation um well uh laws just general concern about um, the morality, the sexual morality of teenagers. Like, oh, I, so I actually, I actually think that's always been a concern of like demagogues and adults. I don't know how much like at the zoomed in local level, but don't you think adults have always been fascinated with like teenager sex lives and the idea that they're sort of out of control or immoral or whatever? Yeah, like I grew up in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and all the really uh, strict Mormon parents who would uh, go on TV and yell about this stuff, you know, um, none of them actually had any sort of relationship with their kids that would involve trust or honesty. There was a lack of like open communication on this stuff, you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like... Mike's mom actually came down and told everyone to stop smoking weed and put their pants on. And she just 
didn't feel the need to go uh, join the Eagle Forum. <laughs> you say people kept it like under their own roof, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure there's some uh, stories of growing up in Salt Lake City. That must be a very different culture in certain ways from what I'm used to. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, pretty long stories, though, so I'll let you get to the next caller. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jamal. Maybe some other time. Uh, AA, what is up? Hello? Hey, how's it going? Hi, I wanted to ask about the, uh, the most impressed group of people. That Gamers. Celtics fans. No, Celtics, Celtics fans. fans. <laughs> right. Um, what, well, for one, I mean, isn't it shocking to see Kyrie Irving destroy a franchise? I mean, who could have seen that coming? Nobody could have seen that coming. Incredibly surprising. Always such a level-headed guy. Great personality. And I'm definitely not enjoying this at all and rooting for the Nets to fail. So just to go on record on that stuff. Well, they still have Ben Simmons, so I think they're probably okay. <laughs> yes. uh, would you want the Celtics to trade for Kevin Durant? No. No? No, really? like it doesn't matter. How, well, any, any package that could get Durant would involve uh, Jalen Brown, probably Robert Williams. And we have, um, we have a team that was two games away from the championship where our core is 25 and 24-year-olds and where we already improved our uh, rotation significantly. Like... No, I don't want a 34-year-old Kevin Durant. I know, and I know he's obviously significantly better than Jalen Brown, but is he? how much better is he given what you would have to give up and give, given that you'd be giving up a 25-year-old all-star? And you'd be bumping Jason Tatum to like the 1A position, which, I, you know, would he be comfortable with that? I don't know. Do you feel differently? Yes. <laughs> just because Durant, so, <laughs> Durant is so good. And he's Kevin Durant. I don't know if yeah. you're aware of it. That, he's Kevin Durant. He is Kevin Durant. I will give you that. I I think he may be in the Celtics vortex where, you know, you talk to Celtics fans all the time. They're like, oh, Jalen Brown is the best player in the world. He's not Kevin Durant. No, he's definitely not. So I think it's like a probably a good move. What do you think about the uh, the player empowerment quote unquote era where people are just demanding trades constantly? I think this is like, this is maybe even interesting to non NBA fans because it's, it's this weird thing where, um, Basically, the NBA caps the salary of basketball players to keep basically to keep things fair is the long story. Long story short, uh, the best players are making far less than they could if it was a truly free market system. And I think partly as a backlash to that, there's increasingly this movement where players just like really contracts like don't really matter anymore. Like you can have a four year contract, but at the end of the day, if you refuse to play, you refuse to play. So what's going on now is Kevin Durant is, um, who just signed a four year contract is basically saying, I don't want to be a new, uh, I almost said New Jersey in Brooklyn anymore. I, I don't know what I think about it. I think at the end of the day, it still seems like we have a lot of teams winning that would, that do it the homegrown way. Uh, and I think that's good. And I think if anything, the whole like chasing a superstar thing or chasing multiple superstars thing seems to be on the decline. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm torn on it because like I want, I want players to have power because they, they're actually underpaid as crazy as that sounds. Like there is this, this system preventing them from making what they're worth. And I can see them responding negatively to that. Um, but I can also understand someone who looks at a player making $15 or 15 more uh, $30 million a year to play basketball, uh, complaining about their situation. That definitely does seem a little bit spoiled and entitled. So I'm just going to fall back on my usual catchphrase of it's complicated. I think if you don't mind the, uh, the like sort of edgy take from someone like Strauss would be something like, uh, you know, the commissioner is too soft on these people who are refusing to play. We need to have sort of 
they need to step in and you know crack crack down on it. Right. <laughs> Bring in like strike the Pinkertons, basically. It's something like that. Yeah. Right. Basically saying Ben Simmons, you can't just not play. We're gonna whatever. Go come down. We're gonna break your lights. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I think the rough equivalent of that would be if the Nets say to Kevin Durant. Well, we can't find the trade we want, so it's your choice. You can either sit on the bench as your 34-year-old body ages rapidly, uh, or you can play basketball for us, and we'll see what happens down the road. At the end of the day, they do still have contractual power over him, and it would be an interesting game of chicken to witness, I think. Yeah, it would be, but it just seems like a disaster for everyone. I don't know. The problem is that they have so much power, so it's like you can just do whatever you want. I mean, that's not going to happen because... They know, for one, they can get a lot of value from him, and for two, um, it would just be like they don't really want to watch, you know, Kevin Durant basically being held hostage. It doesn't seem like people want to go see that. Yeah, and they're probably not going to win. So I don't know. No, it would not be a good situation. But I'm just saying, like, they don't. At the end of the day, they don't have to trade him because it's such a long contract. It makes it a different. I was just listening to a podcast about this and. Um, it makes it a different situation from like someone demanding a trade when their contract expires on its own in nine months. It's just different and weirder when it's like you're demanding a trade when you have four years left. So it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. You're right. It is different, but I feel like it's kind of a forced choice. So you can't really do that. At least I don't, it seems it's, the cost is too high. Anyway, yeah. that's my question. Sorry to divert from, you know, the usual trans stuff. No, I, I... <laughs> thanks man. Alex Great GR eighty one Grady one, what's up? Hello, just can you hear me? I can. Yes, I had a question. I guess I had a couple of questions. The first one was, um, I guess, about the um, aftermath of Roe versus Wade. Um, I did see something. I guess was silly to me. AOC was saying that she's going to get her nails painted as a um, as a protest, I guess, or something. And I'm like, well, you're a legislator. Shouldn't she be like mobilizing laws and galvanizing voters to um, vote for things you're partial to, such as extending the abortion window? Um, I was kind of confused about that. I, I guess that was part of the question was like, where do um, pro this pro-choice crowd go from here and where does the pro-life go from here? Yeah, these are interesting questions that are a little bit outside my um, area. I So... I, I'm going to let AOC off the hook on this because, like, the House isn't the problem. The Senate and the filibuster are the problem, and they're obviously they're not going to pass any national legislation about abortion um, because our country doesn't really pass legislation on stuff. Um, where does the pro-choice movement go from here? I mean, there has to be a premium on making sure women in these states can get abortion somehow. The I think the states that are going to attempt to criminalize them for going across the border for abortions are, like, pretty draconian and horrible and i hope they're found yeah. unconstitutional um kavanaugh seemed to indicate in his in the opinion that they wouldn't be constitutional but until like there's an actual case there's no way to know so i i don't know i i do think the pro-choice movement like this isn't anyone's fault but for decades those of us who think there should be a right to have an abortion have been leaning on this one supreme court case rather than having to like pass state laws or rather than having to convince people and i i do think maybe there's some way to make some progress on the persuasion front. This this isn't one of those issues where there's been much progress. Like it basically stays where it is. So I could be deluding myself, but I, I do find a lot of the like arguments that liberals have settled upon not to be particularly convincing. Like I don't I don't think that many people actually think it's like just a medical procedure, like literally any other medical procedure. I think clearly there's some 
moral questions there. It's just it seems like you're like in right thinking liberal circles, you're not supposed to bring that up. You're supposed to treat it as just a medical procedure. But I, I don't know. I guess like at the end of the day, maybe the saving grace will be that most of the country is pretty uh, moderate on this. Like, I, you know, maybe Germany has it wrong and it should be a more liberal regime. I forget if they're, I think they're 15 weeks, but I, I think most people think it should be legal for the first part of a pregnancy. And maybe that's where we'll settle eventually. I'm just, I'm most worried about like these deep red states where they seem to be able to pass laws that are well to the right of even what their constituents want, basically with impunity, just for complicated structural reasons. So yeah, as for where the pro-life movement will go, I mean, they, they, it's, they can now pass basically whatever state laws they want. I do think that there's a risk that the craziest people in the pro-life movement will pass really crazy laws. And then we're going to have these horrible stories of women being arrested or maybe women dying because they couldn't seek healthcare or, or couldn't get it. Um, crazy, like borderline underground railroad stuff is going to be going on, trying to get women out of States and into States where they can get abortions. So I think there's a risk of conservatives getting punished politically for overreach on this, but it's just going to depend on what happens in which state uh, and so forth. When, when you guys thinking about it was, I guess, kind of the um, pro-choice part would be like more persuasion. I haven't really seen them attempt persuasion. Uh, I guess they just think that they're deficient. A lot of people seem to, they, a lot of them seem to act like their position is just a fault and that, you know, they don't have to really talk to normal people and, you know, try to get them to empathize or to be more um, compassionate about the cause. It's just like, here's what we believe and you just have to believe it with us. It's, and then, like, with the pro-life side, I, I did read one article on um, Yahoo. They were talking about, um, like, you know, I guess one thing I guess the pro-choice crowd could have appeased to is, hey, you guys need to start um, mobilizing more on, like, family planning because there's going to be a lot of um, lot more kids in your states and probably a lot more issues. Y'all guys are going to have to get more involved in other people's – well, I don't want to say, like, other people's lives, but I guess in a way they have to yeah. since they're pushing these laws and stuff. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting to think about. I mean, obviously, a lot of the conservatives against abortion also uh, aren't big fans of premarital sex. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be it's it's like the biggest domestic policy thing to happen in a very long time, and um, it's going to be crazy to watch it unfold. And I I think a lot of people are going to be affected negatively, and I feel bad for them, even as obviously pro life folks are celebrating what it's like an epical victory for them. Uh, thank you, Alex. All right, Chewy, let me give you one more bite of the apple. And then, uh, Jamal, I got to go after Chewy, unfortunately. Oh yeah. Mine'll be brief. Uh, I just want to remember, like remind everybody if they are concerned about the abortion issue, that there is a ballot measure in Kansas. Kansas currently has a constitutional amendment that effectively legalizes abortion. There's a constitutional amendment in Kansas that is Sierra on the ballot uh, that is seeking to overturn that. And if they want to do something really good and impactful on abortion, they should support the people who are trying to uh, say no to that to that ballot amendment in Kansas and keep uh, abortion legal in Kansas. Well, sorry, what exactly is the amendment? Uh, the proposed amendment. In so, Kansas? Okay, so there's there's already a, there's already a, a part in the Constitution that ensures the legality of abortion um, and the the ability of women to um, to have an abortion in Kansas. There's currently a ballot amendment that is seeking to overturn that constitutional um, right, um, and essentially, like the 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 yes side is to overturn the the constitutional right to abortion in Kansas, and the no side is to keep it. 
And so folks should um, should look that up and uh, support the forces in Kansas that are seeking to keep that constitutional right to abortion in Kansas. Yeah, and there's going to be um, a lot of a lot of state level battles like that with pretty high stakes. It's just, yeah, you take away this one court ruling, and suddenly it's it's a state issue again. It's, it's yeah, crazy how that so, works. Yeah, and so people should should people like now just I mean it's it's such a it's such a fucked up issue, but like you know now that this is the case that the the you know Supreme Court has essentially sent this back to the states, we should all be looking at all state um, state fights that are seeking to enshrine. Um, the right to abortion, um, and the, you know that includes in those red states where you know, in this case, Kansas is a big one this this fall. Uh, we should support the 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 forces of good in this issue in those places. Uh, thanks for letting everyone know about that, Joey. Yeah. All right, everyone. I um, yeah, thank you for listening. I actually got a message from one of the guys uh, who wrote these guidelines in Florida while I was doing this. I'm going to call him and try to just like. I don't know, get a little bit more clarity out there about this Florida stuff. Uh, I thought that was some good pushback, um, this idea. I don't want to accuse everyone of cloud chasing. And, and um, states that are run by conservative governments, they have come down pretty hard in certain ways, and I understand why people are scared. I think my argument is just like we need to stick to the facts of what these laws and policies do and don't do. And that's especially true in a situation like Leon County where it's like a deep, it's a deep blue County. These aren't the people trying to like punish trans kids. They're trying to navigate certain difficult trade-offs, especially given that they're in a state that at the state level is red. So I don't know, Uh, maybe I'm focusing too much on this, but I'm going to try to do a little reporting on it and write about it in the meantime, until I next talk to you, check out my podcast, blockedreported.org and jessysingle.substack.com is my newsletter. Uh, when I, if I do write about this, it'll be a free post I'll send out to everyone on the list. Uh, so check those out. And if you like what I'm doing with this show, please tell your friends and acquaintances and lovers and enemies. And uh, go America, by the way. I hope everyone has a good 4th of July. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Have a good Saturday. <laughs>